0: Welcome to One 200, the independent New Zealand media and politics podcast. You're here this week with your host me. that's Philip, you can tell by my voice, sounding like Philip's voice, uh, and this is Kyle. My voice doesn't sound like my voice today, uh, but it is me. Well, that's that's Kyle, and we also have Mark Rickaby on, um, sometime guest, sometime writer, uh, favorite favorite of the, of the article sphere on One 200. Welcome, Mark, thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you, hi everyone.
0: Cool, so that's us three for today, no Bronco. Um, He's still uh, stranded across the season. Um, Somewhere. I was gonna say say COVID land, but actually New Zealand's COVID land now. So he's in the significantly safer land of uh, Biden and Trump. Um, So (laughs) maybe that (laughs) kicks off that sort of narrative understanding of different ways of living uh, in different places in our classic essentialized New Zealand establishment media way. Um, to our first topic, which is kind of media and uh, how people come to understand these different things through confected, constructed narratives. What do you think,
2: Kyle? I've found it really interesting, uh, you know, the constant, I don't even know what to call the the way, like the kayfabe um, of media here being anti-Trump in a similar way to MSNBC is anti-Trump in the United States. It's really overt, um, e- even like most of the Tories here, uh, are really aggressively anti-Trump, um, holding up as a clown, uh, but with apparently very little understanding of how that works um, in a political and and media uh, and journalistic sense. Um, and so, when similar patterns happen closer to home, uh, it's not taken into account that maybe it's they're the doing greatest the same political
1: thing. interview ever, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I couldn't believe that. So, um, for those of you not know, across uh, the last couple of days of political media crossover news, uh media establishment by and large has been celebrating i I, ostensibly the entertainment value i guess of a, a furious air quotes interview uh done by guy williams on his comedy show new zealand today of mayoral candidate leo Malloy. uh it was a an almost 20 minute slot um to start off the show it it started with this idea that he was going to force uh, Malloy to drop out of the race. Um, it, it ended up not being anything close to that. Um, it ended up with Guy Williams uh, doing a faux endorsement of Malloy, and multiple journalists, producers, opinion writers, media personalities um, just effusively uh, applauding guy williams on social media um and in the most incoherent terms um that speak to my my earlier statements around just not understanding how their own industry works um it's immensely frustrating uh it's part of why we do independent media um and it's there's just something really sad about it uh just watching not even the spectacle, but the attempts to grapple um, with the way this is playing out, especially from Guy Williams.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's exactly the kind of um, politics as performance art that frustrated us some years ago when we started talking about a podcast in the first place, um, because it just seems like there's almost no room in New Zealand to be completely outside that, that space, that kind of understanding of... Um, politics as entertainment um, that we saw in 2016 to kind of famous effect with um, you know Trump being given millions and millions of dollars of free media in the states is the obvious kind of uh, example corollary and then that's been used as an example since then obviously around the world a bunch of leaders have tried to kind of um, quote unquote kind of meme themselves into success or victory Um, Winston Peters has always kind of done this, like gained free media from saying things that are shocking, but kind of in a context or to a person or in a, um, in a system where it works from that perspective for a specific minority. And I think that's key is these people need to be able to win with a minority of, of people because creating that kind of edge case is something that I think New Zealand media by and large still isn't prepared for. We still think in a FPP kind of way. Um, And the same thing in the States, right? Trump didn't need to win 51% of viewers over to what he was saying to gain from the the infamous Fallon interview, right? So the Jimmy Fallon interview, I think, has become the kind of go-to, the er example of this, even though it's been happening forever. Um, But it's a good example because Jimmy Fallon's seen as a kind of comedian, but current events-y, kind of family-friendly, liberal, happy, smiley face, overly happy uh pathologically coke headedly Smiley you might say um and he sort of was friendly to Trump and didn't really give him any actual interview questions uh when he had him on his show and that helped um maybe normalize him as the thesis right uh that he had him on his show and ruffled his hair and kind of shook hands with him and was all buddy buddy and created this kind of uh yeah kayfabe of the the way in which Trump could interact and in, and in, both uh, an oppositional and um, functional way within the system in a way that would please the kind of reactionaries on the right because he's annoying them and enough kind of like conservative sensibilities to to win the Republican nomination. So that's often used as an example now when we get these kind of deliberately um, provocative interviews. So Leo Malloy used a bunch of kind of bigoted words and um, ableist slurs and things um, so I think that's why uh, people like Guy Williams would see that as politically disqualifying, right? Because if you live in a, an entertainment sphere bubble, you see these, um, I guess, buzz, political buzzwords as a reason that someone uh, in and of itself can't possibly succeed at politics. Like um, Guy Williams is definitely part of that Auckland, Wellington media uh, sphere. It's very small in New Zealand. There's only a couple of dozen of them, but he'd be one of them, right? That kind of uh, he'd be a Jimmy Fallon if we had one in New Zealand. So to that extent, like I think those people uh, are fundamentally very badly placed to do those kind of interviews. Like that's one thing I'd like to kind of just talk about briefly. Is like can a comedian possibly do a job like that if he if he genuinely thought, which I think he did? I don't think it's like too complex. I know intention, I'm, I'm normally the one to say intentions don't matter, right? And in this case, I think it's still true. It doesn't matter. But just as a, as a thought experiment, do you think a, a comedian can possibly interview a politician who needs outrage and attention and quote unquote win that interview? Like I just can't, in this context, I can't see a way that you could do that.
1: I think it's possible, but I think it has to happen in a way that puts them off their stride. You know, it has to be done in a certain way, um, more of like a Sasha Baron Cohen style. I was going to comedy. say exactly the same. Um, and you know, well, you can't march into literally headquarters in the viaduct and try to pull that. in his, you know, his his world, his space. Like whether it was planned or not, it doesn't really matter. The point is, you're you're basically participating in the campaign at that point and endorsing it,
2: and. Malloy knew that and he said it several times uh, on camera and for whatever reason, the producers chose to run that and then chose to run Williams um, kind of pretending to reflect on that uh, and then ran the entire segment anyway, uh, where they'd they'd set up a boxing ring with campaign logos all over it. Uh, They had a number of shots cuts um, and kind of black and white segments, which were absolutely reminiscent of uh, Malloy's own campaign materials. Um, and to, to the extent that you, you'd have to say they were modeled on, um, on those materials. And I'm not claiming that, you know, they're in on the campaign or that Guy Williams was trying to, um do, do a good thing for Malloy. I think Williams did want to, That doesn't think he's um, a good mayor. Uh, I think probably the people over at New Zealand today think he's not a good a good mayoral candidate. Uh, but again, it's just this this very basic lack of understanding about the way this kind of, I think I'd say call it was a slick production. You know, it was, and this is what a lot of the people in the media are, Uh, like celebrating, like, oh, it was so well put together, yada, yada, yada. It was a good piece of TV. Um, Yeah, okay. Like, that's meaningless if we're in the political sphere. And I think that's what you're alluding to, Philip. If you're doing this from a a comedic standpoint, but you could even say from an entertainment standpoint, um, as opposed to a a political journalist standpoint, is it possible to do it um, in a way that doesn't serve the interests of a reactionary? Um, who is aware of, of how that media works. I, I also think it is possible. Um, you could do it in that kind of Sacha Baron Cohen way, or you could just um, throw off any semblance of journalistic integrity because you're already a comedy show and just destroy him. Um, like, th- this is something that could have been done. Uh, you didn't have to cut Malloy to sound sharper than he is um you could have left him in fumbling and saying worse stuff um you could have just cut the show and said and then we refuse to talk to him anymore he's a piece of shit um there's a range of different ways that that stride could have been broken um they went out of their way to produce it to create create a stride for him um and that I think is what has frustrated me the most about it. I
0: think I think part of the problem is that um the the production probably thought they were, um, including bits that were damaging to him, right? The um, Guy Williams is quoted in Maddie Chapman's spin-off article where she interviewed him and he said that um people at the show were saying, like, oh, this has ended uh Malloy's like political chances at winning. But the problem is they live in fundamentally different political realities, right? Like what what quote unquote ends somebody's career in in Guy Williams and uh, New Zealand today's world um, doesn't really apply to the kind of campaign that uh, Leo Malloy is trying to run an outrage campaign you, exactly. need, you only need what 25% at, at probably less of Auckland to uh, know who you are to win a mayoral campaign in Auckland where it's divided between a bunch of different candidates um, and in all these specific circumstances right there's no incumbent um, it's, a, it's a very risky position to be in so Within that context, none of the people who the New Zealand Today crew know are going to be voting for Leo Malloy, but that wasn't the case already, right? They're yeah. not They're not producing media for themselves. I think this is another problem in New Zealand is that we think we know everyone. It's the kind of, um, it's the two steps of separation thing,
2: two degrees of separation. I of- want to push back on that a little bit because... They clearly knew that there were people voting for Malloy. Like, he goes and talks to his own dad, and his dad's like, oh, I like the guy. And, and Guy Williams himself says, well, I actually like you, um, to Malloy. These people do live in the same world. They, they, they have similar worldviews in some ways. You know, you say, well, it would be disqualifying for them and their roles. No, it wouldn't. New Zealand media is rife with this kind of shit. There are some horrible, horrible people uh, throughout the establishment um, who have done obscene stuff. Um, who continue in their roles uh, or quietly get shuffled somewhere else um, or, or go to another um, another media outlet the, this is their kind of people um, especially uh, for an eye out on the viaduct you know? I think like uh, yeah
0: sure sure that's that's completely true but I think we we see those people as as part of the same class but I don't think they do like the <laughs> You know, they, they spend most of their time um, and the first. OK, we could divide we could divide the, the segment, I guess, generously into the second half that I think was um, we can say is basically unabashedly an advertisement for Leo Malloy for Mayor. Right. Um, and then the first half is the kind of bumbling interview segment that I thought was more interesting, um, because that's the part where it's it's clear to me, at least, that the way he's interviewing is attempting to be less generous to him than a classic kind of politics question and answer format. He's, he's interrupting him. Leo Molloy can't get his answers straight. He sounds like an idiot for the first kind of couple of minutes. Um, And that's the part where I thought Leo Molloy sounded weakest because he's kind of a little baby complaining to the director that he can't, um, he can't get his words out when Guy Williams was being like pretty generous to him. But in that, in even the context of that, that first half, the bit that they, seemed to argue about obviously isn't policies there's nothing material guy williams um didn't question his uh commitment to publicly owned assets or anything it's all about um is it, is it bad to be woke you know at this kind of like performative surface level veneer um that no one is going to change their votes over i guess that's what i mean
1: that's like, the kayfabe thing isn't it really yeah. i mean i think that's what you're kind of both of you're kind of getting at it it's really hard to talk about because yeah, we don't have the language for it. But I think that that whole piece, the reason why it was entertaining or the reason why it was edited in the way that it was, um, because there is this, this question of is this disqualifying or not? That's the drama. It's not, it, it's not the words that are said or the behavior. It's like, is this, you know, is this going to rule him out or is it going to make him more popular? And that's actually what the question of the piece was asking. Um, so, you know, it really is playing with fire in a very direct kind of a sense. But if you, if you kind of look at it discursively, you know, there's all these little things going on inside it that uh, yeah, you will say something that's so supposedly anti-woke, and that's disqualifying you as a sort of political candidate. Um, that, but you zoom out and it's like that is the whole point of, of a piece like that. It's asking that question. And it's, ask, it's not asking viewers to engage with that question, though. It's asking them to take a side. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And, the, and, and then people do. Um, and then they vote. Uh, and I guess that's what's come out of it. Like Guy, Guy Williams has done a series of like step backs and like um, mea culpas um, saying sorry and apologizing, saying people's criticism is right, and then saying, but that's why we need to vote. Um, I'm just glad that it's brought attention to a, to local elections like we're not the dnc mate it's yeah it's sad it's it's slightly pathetic um i just before we move on to the next segment the other thing i i just do want to um draw into the conversation is the fact that you know a few weeks ago malloy made what i've i've been broadly calling um stochastic death threats about another candidate um you know kind of put up as a joke um, about Efeso Collins um, putting a target on his back kind of language. Um, A couple of weeks later that led to Collins being nearly run off the road uh, by, with his wife and uh, children in the car um, by someone who saw his campaign car. And we have a media that is not asking that question of Malloy every single time. Um, They have him in front of a camera um, or with a recording device. And the same media, if any violence happens, if if things like go in a bad direction, they're going to be the first to say, oh, we never could have known. Um, Oh, how did this happen? Um, And then start doing uh, kind of trauma reporting on it. And it's just the most disgusting thing to watch zoomed out because you can see that this is exactly the approach that media are going to take. And I I, I know there are people pointing out to them because I'm one of them that this is dangerous, uh, that it's normalizing a kind of political language um, that is going to harm people if it takes root. And they don't give a shit. They, They really don't. Or they purport to, and then they report the same way on it anyway. They refuse to actually do anything about it. I throw their hands up and say, oh, we're just reporting what was said. Um, We're objective observers. You're not at the stage. We're we're so far beyond the point where you're objective observers. That's not your role anymore. Uh, Do your fucking jobs.
0: I'd like to, yeah, I'd I'd like to say, like, in general, I think the the language of platforming isn't the best language for these conversations, like, um, we fall back very easily now into, you know, X platformed Y kind of positionality stuff. And I don't think that's helpful. Um, we had a big conversation about this when uh, Molyneux and Southern came to New Zealand and Paddy Gower um, <laughs> gave them that train wreck interview that I was mad about for months afterwards um, that I thought was just basic kind of journalistic malpractice and lack of preparedness. And there's definitely a, a similarity there as well that Guy Williams could have understood the kind of person who Leo Malloy is, is better, right? Um, Malloy did more homework than Williams did for that interview, clearly. Um, and so to that extent, I think we need to criticize as as Mark said, like the type of interview rather than the, the, the fact that it was there. I definitely agree with that. Um, you have to be able to do those things. Um, and also for candidates like this, I guess the last point I, I really wanna make on this is that for candidates who deliberately use both a kind of irony and non-irony lane, right? The, kind of the Trumps and the Malloys and that in that context, I think is similar, the, you know, take them seriously, but not literally understanding of things, then journalists need to get on board with that and treat them in that way. If, they, you know, should we take Malloy seriously when he says he wants to uh, kill his fellow um, candidates? Probably not. But then should we take him seriously when he says he wants to trial public transport? Why can we take that more seriously than his, like, death threats? We have to, like, if, they, if they're going to be consistent, you need to say, okay, well, if you're joking about some of your comments, which ones are you joking about? Um, can we get a list? What are you actually going to do as mayor of the city? Um, are, you, are you being serious with any of your campaign commitments? You know, there's, there's, it's, it's by default giving them the benefit of the doubt to allow them to run in two lanes at the same time when every other candidate has to be serious all the time.
1: Yeah, the problem is that that first lane is not a one-way thing, right? Media are used to broadcasting and um, you know, from the top down, or kind of the, like broadcasting outwards, it's it, it's the meaning of the term. But what's happening, we see, and Kyle kind of alluded to this with this sort of stochastic behavior. I, I don't think the way I think about it is a feedback loop, um, and we have seen this certainly with YouTube, and certainly with the rise of certain forms of politics. Um, I'm not going to rattle off all of the sort of stuff that's going on, but um, there's a kind of common theme to it, which is that creators are being radicalized by their audiences. But our, our way of analyzing media is all about the creator broadcasting outwards. So we don't understand that, that interaction that's taking place. And I guess it's like, I don't give a shit about Malloy. He doesn't interest me. He reminds me of the kind of bullies from the Maorun era that um, that were cruel to me as teachers or authority figures when I was a kid, you know? Uh, not, not even an interesting person, an archetype of the angry little New Zealand man from that era. Like, I don't think people like that have a relevance in our society today. So I just have that view. But what I see is not so much what he's saying. I see the reactions to it online. And you look at the Facebook pages that get recommended underneath Malloy's page. Uh, That's not Malloy's doing. That is the people who are like, hey, there's an irony candidate. I'm going to go jump on that Facebook page. And it just starts taking on this thing. And and we're seeing this, I think, with the the death threats. Um, This is the dynamic that's happening. And I think anyone working in media today needs to be aware of this. Um, There's there's PhD theses on it. There's copious amounts of data and evidence and um, and we've got the most horrific examples of it to, um, to draw from that we, we basically want to be very thoughtful about moderating discussion and thoughtful about an understanding of that feedback loop and, and how audiences come back. And, I mean, we, we see this a little bit on the National Party's Facebook page as well, where Luxon tries to post something in Te reo and, you know, probably f- f- well-meaning Um, and just gets a flood of abusive, angry, obnoxious, racist comments, um, threatening not to vote for national and and driving kind of normal national voters further towards that, because that's what the purpose of it is. Um, And that I think we think, oh, you know, people just ignore it. But I do think that Mm -hmm. that behavior has an impact on political messaging and on media in terms of like affecting people um, to be like, oh, these are the people that this is normal. These are the people that are going to vote for me. These are the people that like me. Um, we just have to be way more careful about it, I think.
2: Yeah, and that's been my bit of a drama I've been beating this week. Um, all media and political pages just need to turn their comments off. They just need to stop having this interface because even if they know at an intellectual level um, you know we're being astroturfed. You know, it's, it's a vocal minority who's um, incredibly racist, etc. The Physical kind of feelings um, of having this constant barrage are going to move you. Um, there are very few people who are able to actually look at it objectively. Uh, and yeah, you see it happening on media pages as well. Um, it's a very active campaign by groups within New Zealand to just flood the interfaces that they have with broadcasters um, and political parties. Uh, to move things in that direction, and there's a very easy technical fix for that. Just stop them from being able to talk. Just yeah, put tape over their mouths. It's I, again, unfortunately, they have uh, engagement KPIs, um, which I guess is, is stopping them from doing that. But
1: um, who a- in their right minds would put an engagement KPI on Facebook comments? I mean, come on, like likes, like engagement, like, um, you know, the, all those sort of social sharing metrics. But, I mean, co- comments, come on.
2: Yeah, well, it's just the way it is. Uh, but it kind of brings us to, like, our, our next um, piece around the radicalization of some of these platforms. And that was this week, yeah, um, Stuff wrote an article and a number of other media organizations got in on it as well, uh, giving a very, an incredibly an overly fair hearing to a group called Nurses for Freedom, um, purporting to be a, a bunch of nurses who weren't able to practice uh, because they weren't vaxxed. Um, and, oh, woe is us. We just want to help with the health crisis. Uh, on, uh, immediately. Uh, on investigation, um, it was found in their own press release that they, they were directly related to Voice for Freedom, a well-known conspiracy group um, pushing a range of. Um, I think they even call the different groups that they operate cells um, in in different industries um, that try and uh, do local organising to draw a uh, to draw more pressure on, on political parties to. Uh, either get rid of mandates initially, um, or I don't even know half of what they want to happen at this point, considering so many of the public health mitigations are gone. Um, but there's just absolutely zero due diligence um, in, in covering this group. It was then later found out that of the, the fi- uh, around 500 members, only 10 of them were even registered nurses, only 10 of them would even be able to work. Um, should the the rules be changed. Um, And like the story is still up. It still doesn't refer to them as being part of Voices for Freedom. Um, It still doesn't refer to the fact that most of their membership aren't nurses. It's absurd. Um, And then I I think a couple of different um, media shows did like Vox Pop with them as well. Uh, and just absolutely gave them the benefit of the doubt, as being like, "Oh, these poor nurses um, just can't help their fellow New Zealanders." It's immensely frustrating.
0: Yeah, the most the most kind of naked um, uh, hypocrisy, or I suppose, kind of lack of uh, context provided by the by the article that I thought was quite funny was just the um, the the careful use of of speech marks around, like the insertion of doubt around stuff that. Uh, NZNO or doctors' organisations or medical professionals have been saying, um, for example, that there's a quote-unquote crisis in the health system and all these things, right? Um, we can't look outside and tell whether it's raining or not. We have to check in with, uh, divide divide the media time, and both sides this way between Voices for Freedom and the entire <laughs> nurses' organisation of New Zealand. Um, whereas things like extremely, like evidential claims, by this group would be taken without being checked. So, you know, numbers of members, as Kyle said, um, the characterization that they had of their reasons for wanting to go back to work and these kind of, um, I guess, conglomerations of, of, of values that they were just presenting as, it was a press release, right? Most of it read like a press release. Um, and, you know, as I, as I said before, like if I wanted to read press releases, I'd go to Scoop. Like at least they give left organizations a chance to do Uh, press releases as well
2: at least have the full information of the press release and the press release yeah um yeah as you said um you know it it read like a press release actually it didn't have the key information from the press release in it
0: yeah yeah i mean it's a it's another kind of strategic use of the media right that's that's why this is a similar thing um these small organizations know what they're doing they need the the buy-in of only a small number of people who read those articles to insert like plant seeds of doubt in their mind. Uh, maybe there are, maybe all these nurses actually would be a good time to let them come back to work. There's so much COVID in the community anyway, like if, if the nurses organization says there's a crisis, why won't they let these people come back and practice then? That could alleviate the crisis, right? Um, no investigation into whether it actually would help, what would happen with a higher degree of unvaccinated nurses, just kind of basic journalistic stuff you would think, really like 101, what does the evidence say? Material, but I don't know if they don't have time for it, or if the journalist is just not interested, or or what. But as an editorial line, that seems pretty concerning. I think it's just you've
1: got a story there, right? There's a there's a sort of there's a hook, um, and it's a good hook because it um, it sort of it purports to sort of address this crisis that people care about a lot, but it also attacks the government, right? It's like implied that the government is fucking up. Um, so it, it works really well as a story, and I think when you get this idea that there's this good story, you just go for it. Um, those basic things. This has been criticism that's been happening for years and years, um, and it's just that I think we're acutely aware of it in this pandemic situation. Um, things like this actually are going to lead to like suffering. It's not like a, a it's not a messaging fuck up. It's actually quite a serious matter. Um, but I think to me, what was frustrating is just the basic lack of, um, of contextualization of the problem. There's like something like 4,000, um, 4,500 kind of positions for nurses in New Zealand. Even if the premise of, the, of, of this argument was correct, it still wouldn't really do anything. Like the problem is so much bigger than that. Um, and it's, it's really serious. I don't, it's just really frustrating to see that I think it is just a fundamental lack of being serious about serious shit. I mean, I know that sounds kind of facile, but that's just, I just don't, I honestly look at this stuff. I just don't know how to respond to it. It's just so beyond what makes sense to me.
2: It's almost like the, the both sides mantra has just fully permeated um, the entirety of the media apparatus. So it's like, is it a crisis or is it not a
1: crisis? I don't know um could be one or the other um well they don't do know because they went into hospitals last week and they did some interviews and it was pretty serious yeah
2: pretty but the, shocking. Go- the government's saying it's not
1: yeah that's mark that's yeah. only according to the professionals
0: and the people in the hospitals saying yeah. that. But that's only one side of the story the other side is what andrew little and voices for freedom say so in a way who knows who knows yeah, where- I, I, yeah. again
2: it's just like there's this this, this dual crisis in media. Um, which is that one, they they don't seem to be able to do their basic function anymore of looking out the window, you know, and, and that just gets brought up again and again and again over the last uh, five years, especially. Like, it's not your job to cover, like, this 1% group versus this 99% group. It is your job to go and check. Um, and, and actually, in that case, you don't even need to check because,
1: your own reporting actually yeah, has the, you already the material that you can build yeah,
2: on. There. It's common knowledge. Um, and then alongside that, the way that media has grown throughout the internet age has just left it absolutely open to being hijacked. And we all know this. Again, you've said, like you've said, Mark, there's, there's a whole bunch of reporting about this. Um, there's a whole bunch of academic work. Um, everyone knows, everyone looking at the media. Knows that this is a, a massive problem. There are there are so many horrible examples of it. Um, there's so many everyday examples of it, but they just, for whatever reason, are uh, singularly unable to respond to that in any meaningful way. Like as you watch, like just the most outrageous conspiracy stuff get platformed as uh, three um, normal New Zealand mums, um, and. Yeah, it's, it's worrying uh, because without either independent media taking a much, much greater um, part of that function um, or a complete about-face at this point from our establishment media, like, I, I don't think we're, we're quite at the, um, you know, lies or truth, uh, Ministry of Information uh, point yet, but that's definitely the track we are on um we we truly cannot trust anything
0: I think maybe maybe it's also I was just thinking as you were saying the both sidesism thing I mean we have been talking about uh the both sides issue for for years right and it's been around for a long 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 time and and maybe we're past that right if you've gone to journalism school or if you've been uh an active part of the media in the last decade plus you know that that's the kind of um, that's the model and that's the criticism. So these people are perfectly aware of what they're doing. It's, um, it's, it's naive to the point of, um, I don't know, blindingly dishonest and hypoc- hypocritical to, to say that, that they don't know what they're doing, right? And if, if we were operating in a system where both sides them, um, operated without any kind of uh, ideological background, then we'd see more... Small and significant leftist organizations being <laughs> presented as having like plausible backgrounds and plausible context to their statements, right? And when was the last time that happened? So I think like maybe it's beyond that. Maybe it's an ideological um, right wing anti public health slant that underlies most of this. Because you don't see many, you know, small unions, uh, n- numerically insignificant local environmental groups. One of two hundred. One of two hundred uh, hapu with um, land rights issues being presented as having equal say about what the evidence points to as the government does or as nationwide organizations. Right. You don't see that very much in the media. Um, so I don't think it's just both sides. of them. there's there's also a kind of a right wing establishment pro capital uh, background to these um, divisions.
1: I think a big part of it in New Zealand is that it's very confusing. But like other places I've lived, it's been very clear what each broadsheet or publication was standing for because they had more of a an ideological kind of like slant and the public was kind of aware of it. Like in Sydney, for example, you know what you you know what the Murdoch papers are saying and what where they're coming from, you know which politicians they support. Um, it's obviously no, it's, it's nasty and kind of ridiculous, but it's very clear you know who's who. And um, same in, um, in Europe and, and London. You pick up your paper to read on the tube or whatever, and you, you're reading the particular kind of angle. Um, and I've been feeling for a while like New Zealand's just really confusing because they're trying to be all things to all people, but it ends up just becoming this kind of morass of just like incoherence. Um, and... As I think, as you're just saying, like that incoherence, it just leads to either capture or just kind of sliding in the direction where the loudest voices are or the most moneyed voices are. And I think in the case of our publications here, it's very much about who are the sponsors, who are the advertisers, and that's basically real estate and car companies. Um, so then you go, okay, what do real estate and car companies want? Um, and then you that basically explains most of why we don't have capital gains tax.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point. That's a really good point, right? I mean, there's there's the, I think the smaller and less interesting part of it is probably that we're a small country where it's harder to gain a foothold for organizations with an explicitly ideological bent. But um, the the bigger part of it is the ideological capital part of it. Like you're talking about, how do you survive in the New Zealand media environment without um, advertisers? We certainly don't. Um, spinoff is sponsored by Zed, right? the uh, shell whatever they're calling themselves um, and like happily interrupt their politics podcasts talking about climate change to for advertisements for an oil company Um, and it's just it's like a very direct kind of ideological pipeline for these like big moneyed interests which in New Zealand is yeah what real estate finance maybe at a stretch uh, oil cars agribusiness like there aren't that many big industries in New Zealand to pump money through which means we get this heavily slanted view of all these things let's move on to the next
2: topic uh which is the COVID response um that that labor have kind of thrown on the floor uh, nearby uh, for us to scrabble at um <laughs> as as cases once again just rapidly increase you know we've got this in, incredible health crisis um ba5 is here it, it's got huge um, R R ratings, Um, everyone's catching it, people who are just like masked all the time are catching it, no one knows who has it, Uh, we have some of the highest numbers in the world, if not the highest, Um, just a quick nod to the fact that it's probably because we're testing better than most places still and we're still not capturing most of the people who have it here I would I would argue um, given the infectivity of ba5 um, hospitals are overloaded uh, different uh, surgeries are being like pushed back uh, cancer treatments being pushed back if you go to aE with a broken arm it might be 10 to 12 hours before you're seen Nurses and doctors that are exhausted uh you know it just It goes on and on and on, just how bad a state we're in. Um, And the government over the last few weeks has just been saying, oh, we're not going to move out of Orange. Um, You know, this is an already not-for-purpose fit COVID response system that they brought in end of last year. Uh, We've said that all along. um, Effectively, it pushed the responsibility for the COVID response onto individuals. That continues um, with the lack of any systemic change to the way that the government is going to respond to this increasing crisis meanwhile they keep purporting that we have to stay opened up because otherwise businesses will suffer well none of those businesses have staff because everyone's got fucking covid um so what have they done um to, to like and also these things are, i'm glad these things have been done they're just fucking worthless in the greater scheme um they have Made it uh, free to get basic surgical masks, you know, better than nothing, but COVID is airborne and they they, aren't, they don't work anymore and they're still unable to get this message out. And they've opened up uh, antivirals for uh, 400,000 more people, which is uh, a bunch of people, I think over 65 um, and some uh, fewer people with extreme conditions. Oh, and uh, you can get uh, rats more easily as well. Um, oh, oh, you know, cool, great. These things should have been a given from day one. Why isn't it n ninety fives? Why aren't they giving away free flu vaccines to um, decrease the influenza load on the system and at least attack it from a different direction? Uh, why aren't the boosters being opened up for you know everyone who's nearing the six month mark instead of just over sixty fives and people who are vulnerable? I don't know. Um, these are all. Also, incredibly simple, do nothing uh, things, but they have an impact for a large number of people. And instead, we get like fucking nurses for freedom in the news.
1: It's interesting that the criticism from the right and the left is kind of starting to basically be very similar towards the government at the moment on this. It's just like the traffic light system is ridiculous. Why did you just not like kind of change course and just start communicating direct interventions and just Basically, building on what's known about the current state, like everything you just said, it's, um, it's really hard to deal with, I think. and I know a lot of people are getting very frustrated, but I think we need to um, probably need to recognize that they have just basically said, like, this is individual responsibility. Businesses have got what they want. Great. Um, are businesses happy of course they're not they're whining screaming putting out like angry press releases and um, it's you know business as usual and it it sucks it just shows that if you listen to those people not only do you screw up um, massively screw up public health response well I think we can't even call it public health response anymore because it's not it's not about public health it's about like sort of disease management it's a sort of it's a it's a different paradigm it's basically saying we're going to try to like lessen the bad effects rather than we're going to try to stop transmission um so it's not even thinking about public health i think and that hasn't been acknowledged so much but it's just that's what's happening in australia as well australia and new zealand following very similar courses and they are slowly doing some of the right things um what i can't understand is now that we do know that this virus is airborne, and it, um, we have we have you know this complex kind of understanding of of how transmission takes place in a very different way to we understood in 2020, and we're not seeing any interventions around ventilation. Uh, we're not seeing any kind of real focused effort to address that, um, even to the point of just giving out kind of advice for like. Um, and and then you know with all this construction stuff that's happening, we're just building these houses which are basically um, sealed boxes, which are so we're not even learning lessons from that and feeding that back into like the future. It's um, it's really interesting just to see the cascading failures that are going on at the moment. Well, this is probably I have the to last say pandemic, interesting because so. it's just so depressing <laughs> um, if you think about it emotionally.
2: Yeah, I think this is the last pandemic we're ever going to have, though, so probably having small ventilated um, box houses um, won't won't matter because we'll never be sick again.
0: The next, yeah, the next leaky homes crisis will be, the crisis is that air doesn't leak (laughs) enough of the houses enough.
2: But even Ardern um, has kind of alluded to the fact that, um, I I think unintentionally, that the traffic light system is not fit for purpose by saying, oh, if we're in the moment in in New Zealand where we're at in the worst situation we have been with the pandemic so far, the most uh, highest transmission rate we've ever had, like heading towards the highest uh, number of cases per day and hospitalizations uh, and deaths per day, moving to red wouldn't make a difference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Creative red, just the, I know, right? Why does
2: it exist?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so, the point, isn't it? Like, if, okay, you said that. Like, so why do we still have traffic lights at all?
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, compare this to actual traffic lights, right? Uh, changing changing this traffic light from orange to red won't decrease the number of crashes on the, uh, on the roads. But we're going <laughs> to keep red on the traffic lights uh, for now because we like it. We think it looks good. But I mean, as we said at the time in the um, COVID October revolution last year, um, when they introduced the traffic light system, it was always, part of that was always the messaging system that there's one way this is going to go this is just to show that they've been succeeding, right? You can't be at the bottom the bottom stage. If you're at the bottom stage, it means things are as bad as, as yep. they can be. And that's not good from a PR, comms kind of standpoint. And that's what it was. It was an exercise. And of, this
2: is what we pointed out that immediately, as soon as they came up with traffic light, okay, so they want to get to green. Any movement in the opposite direction is horrific PR. Um, and we know that our government is driven by those kind of responses. Of course, people are going to be like, mad about it going up to red. And and you can see that in the way that Labor are responding to um and their and their outriders like vociferously responding to any any um opinion that we should increase um public health mitigations is oh people don't like it. Um yeah we're doing uh vibe polling um and we just couldn't get away with doing it now because people don't want to see it go to red. Yeah, no shit. Which
0: actually feeds back quite interesting and interestingly into what mark was saying before about like we're not we're not set up in a way to think about the the dynamic between the opinion makers and the opinion takers right so labor and their pr outriders the the neils and the clintz can quite happily say like um actually people won't accept x um, without cons- without understanding that they construct the terrain they're fighting on to some like to more degree than they're admitting right? you don't you don't just fight in the in the terrain that you you find you can construct that terrain and then and then fight on it but they completely refuse to engage with the fact that that works both ways between between the, the people who are constructing those positions and the people responding to them look how um like the best the best most obvious example of this that i honestly thought might create kind of a chink in the armor of establishment media in new zealand was the first covid response that was overwhelmingly popular and almost universally panned in the media that it was polling at over 80% for most of the first in terms of support from the from voters, from national voters, it's like 70% or something. Labour voters is almost 100%. Green voters the same. It's like everyone across the spectrum thought it was a fantastic response, like record support for a position. And more than half of the media voices, everyone in the establishment media pretty much said people won't stand for this. There'll be widespread um, public disobeying of these mandates. Are we going to be locking everyone up? Blah, blah, blah. They were the voices we were getting in the establishment media for months. And we saw very, very little of that. There was almost no kind of like hard implementation of these measures that they brought in that we talked about at the time, go back and listen. We were very critical of some specific aspects of that. Um, But it was just such a clear sign that the media and the pundit class just massively misread the public mood and what people will stand for. And the labor PR machine constructed landscape of the team of five million that wasn't there before that and then fought that uh policy war extremely successfully on terrain they created and smashed 2020 the public health response was for the most part internationally excellent and then smashed the election with record success again and since that has just gone right they capitulated to business like mark said and obviously got panned by business this is why you don't surrender to your to your enemies for no no gain um and since then they just have refused to learn the lessons of the past it's that's bizarre right
1: very bizarre i think 2021 we will look back on that year as being when we dropped everything you know we was the the point that things could have changed and we as a whole, and I'm not just saying government, not just saying media, like all of us basically did nothing. And, um, but, you know, and maybe mostly government or government agencies that that year was an opportunity to consolidate and actually strengthen that response and be prepared for a long pandemic. That's that we had a fantastic, probably the best, one of the best opportunities of any country in the world to prepare for that. But we spent that year arguing about quarantine, MIQ, um, obsessing over like breaches where COVID went into the community. Um, ridiculous kind of um, sort of coverage of like very sort of moment-to-moment um, dramas around that. Um, attacking the public health service, um, attacking Ministry of Health. Um, and and they just kind of went to ground and basically um started doing that kind of Official Information Act sort of delaying and um and all and just these dynamics and so well, like basically I'm really struggling to see what actually happened in 2021 but I think all of that's feeding into where we are today um where well, this traffic light thing um as you say I think a huge mistake in terms of making optics the kind of central sort of impactful thing um, kind of guiding all of the structure of the public communications around around the health response really bad um, when you have a like a normative kind of meaningful thing um, we're going to red is bad going to green is good like and I know it's not necessarily as simple as that but what what a ridiculous way to construct it um, and I just feel like maybe there wasn't Maybe it goes back to something you said before, Philip. There wasn't a sense that the pandemic was going to keep on going. That these viruses were going to keep mutating. That we were going to keep having to deal with these these different dimensions of, of the outbreak happening in, in different ways with different different kind of characteristics. Um, and so we're just like, oh, you know, back to back to normal. Time to rebuild. Time to move on from the pandemic. Um, and that was that was. always vibes that was never grounded in in realism.
2: Well, I think we're just about coming to time.
1: There's probably room for a positive message on what we talked about today. I just don't know what it is. (laughs) Um, I feel like I really don't want to end on a downer, but it's just like, what what do we say after that? Like, how do we make people feel like, there's something they can do.
2: Organise, get involved in a campaign. Um, there's yeah. one incredibly good Auckland minority campaign uh, happening currently. It's Professor Collins. Uh, incredibly progressive. Uh, the people running the campaign are being sure that everything is done like safely, uh, so you can get out and door knock or just meet people at, at markets um, and, and things like that. Uh, has actual policy um, that's backed up uh, as being supported by the unions is a really good dude (laughs) which apparently is like gonna just set him apart from most of the other candidates all these bad things start happening and become more apparent in a situation where there is the possibility for change um and it's the the chaos that sometimes comes with that that allows the more reactionary groups to try and get a foothold but It always gives us the opportunity to push back on that, to organize, uh, to analyze, uh, to present different messages, to not just get out and vote, uh, but to get out and talk to people and build communities um, and bring people with you that way who are being switched off by this constant barrage of shit uh, from our media and politicians.
1: I was just going to say, is Epheso going to lead us out of the work wilderness? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the question that's really on Auckland's mind. What well, we need,
2: you know what? I think it's time that we we set up camp in the work wilderness.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like what we have pure indeed. Like, still, isn't the wilderness our sort of marketing thing?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's um, let's make a a hidden temple in the work wilderness. Yeah. Thanks very
0: much. That's been another week of one of 200, the independent New Zealand international politics podcast. We talk a lot about uh, media today, but that's, that's fine. You have those weeks sometimes. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Kyle.
1: Thanks,
0: Cheers. And thanks everybody uh, for tuning in. Uh, Rate us five stars. Give us a review. Fluck us a dollar on Patreon. You know where all the links are. Check it out. It helps us everything you give us all the stars and dollars and shares and uh, likes Help us do more stuff and if you want us to keep doing stuff we need those things so we always appreciate it that's been one of 200 catch you next week
1: The relentless routines the dying embers of your dreams is the lie aspirational will you die keeping your glass up full the relentless routines dying embers of your dreams is a lie aspirational you die keeping your glass half full you don't hate your nation you hate nationalism you don't hate your nation